Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome in the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Make sure to check out fivereasonssports.com. That's where you can find all of our free content, not just on the Heat, but also on the Dolphins, who fell to 0-1 today. The Marlins, who are now in a playoff spot, inner Miami, lost their match the other night. And, of course, the Hurricanes, who will actually play a top-20 matchup against Louisville next weekend. So make sure you check out fivereasonsports.com. Unlike the others, we do not have a paywall. We've also got a YouTube channel. We're now posting up to 15 videos a day, and not just of us, but also player interviews. Just put up all the Dolphins interviews from after the game, all of their Zoom calls, as well as the Heat Zoom calls, the Marlins Zoom calls, they're all going up there. Also, check out the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that includes Mark Brown, PA. This is a real estate litigation and transaction law firm, both commercial and residential, with a full-service attorney-owned title company. Here's the key. They've got a $295 closing fee on all refinances and purchases when mentioning five reasons. That's a great deal. $295 closing fee on all finances and and purchases when mentioning five reasons. They also handle evictions for landlords and tenants, and they offer flat fee evictions. They've been practicing for nearly 15 years. The phone number is 954-566-5678. Again, that's 954-566-5678. Or you can reach Mark over at M-A-R-C at markbrownpa.com or just go to markbrownpa.com. Support our sponsors so we can keep providing all of this content. And now, today's episode. One, two, three, four, five on the floor. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a daily show on the Miami Heat and the NBA featuring Ethan Skolnick with Alphonse Sidney, Alex Toledo, and Greg Sylvander, part of the Five Reason Sports Network. All right, Ethan Skolnick back on five on the floor. You can also catch us on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Make sure to download the Dash Radio app, and you'll get us on the Nothing But Net channel every day. Appointment listening, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Pacific. All right, today's floor plan, we're finally looking ahead to the Eastern Conference Finals. We know who the Heat's opponent is. It's the Boston Celtics. We're going to do a little bit more nostalgia and narrative type stuff tomorrow, but today... We've got a newly minted full-time writer for basketballnews.com, although he's been on this podcast many, many times. Nikias Duncan joins myself, Alex Toledo, and Greg Sylvander. And Nikias, you got an article going up tonight on the Celtics and the Heat? Um, I do. Two-part series. I'm basically doing scouting reports for both teams. Uh, the Heat version has just dropped. Uh, it's 8.38 now. It just dropped at 8.35, funny enough. So you can check that out at my page, Nikias NBA. And, Yeah. So check it out after you listen to the podcast, okay? We're not going to give all that stuff away now, but make sure you check it out at Nikias NBA. Of course, you can follow Alex at Tropical Blanket because we can't get him to change his damn handle. And then the former lefty life, Greg Sylvander. All right, let's get right to it. We're going to get into five topics 
from a strategy standpoint that it could, it could affect this series. But I want to start here. The Heat played Boston three times, twice before the bubble, once in the bubble. They lost the two games prior to going in the bubble. They won the game in the bubble. We made a lot out of how difficult this matchup was going to be if these teams played each other in the playoffs. To the point, I think Alex and Greg and I talked about this many times, how you didn't even want to see Boston. You wanted to get out of their bracket. You didn't want to face them too early in the postseason. Best case scenario was wait until the Eastern Conference Finals. But now as I look at it, and I look at the way the bubble game went, but I also look at who and Eric Spolstrom mentioned this, others have mentioned this, who didn't play in those matchups, who did play in those matchups. Justice Winslow got a lot of minutes in one of those matchups. Myers Leonard was a starter for two of those matchups. I don't really know how much you can take from what happened in those three games. Greg, what do you take from them? Uh, pretty much nothing uh, other than um, I – I think there are a couple things you can take, particularly that I think Olenek has proven to be a player that excels against Boston. I know that there's probably some intangible stuff there, but just in the game in the bubble, if I remember correctly, he was a, a really uh, strong facilitator. I think he had seven or eight assists and, uh, you know, that many rebounds and scored well. So I think this could be that type of series. And, and you obviously can also um, – identify that the wings that uh that Boston has and Kemba Walker being you know the the speedy small point guard that he is and and some of the stuff that has plagued the heat all season those are things that we can you know we can derive but ultimately I think that a lot of this stuff is so um up in the air because this Miami team is a different squad than the one we saw all season and Boston is too I mean, both of these teams are kind of um, hitting their stride at the right moment. But Miami in particular has shored up some of the defensive stuff that was difficult all year. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And it obviously is not going to go the way that we predict it to because nothing does. Alex, to that end, um, the biggest change for either team is the Iguodala-Crowder additions because you, you didn't see them in the two regular season games. Not only you know, are they playing in the postseason, but now Crowder's a starter. And Iguodala is a core member of the rotation. So how much does that change from what we saw? Well, more than that, Crowder is not just a starter. He's a shooter now, uh, if you haven't heard. No, but uh, but seriously, even more than the Crowder and Iguodala additions, to me, you were going through the guys who were playing. And you left out a couple, I think, that are even better examples, like James Johnson, uh, maybe even Chris Silva. And, uh, you know, Myers Leonard was playing a lot and, and like, seeing the highlights, there was plenty of times where kind of him or Kelly are the reasons that the, the defense break down when they're on the floor with Kemba. So I, I just think that the rotation right now, the way that it is, and, and the fact that they're playing, they're deploying a lot more switch just kind of makes it that I don't know how much to take away from those games when you're just talking about defensively, right? Because that's kind of what we were worried about all year with this specific Heat team is defense. And now they're playing a much, I think, uh, a shorter rotation, but one where there's not as many defensive weak points we obviously got to talk about and we will talk about the starting lineup and the weak points there and all of that but at the end of the day this is a much better defensive team I, I I would say relative to what they were before and that makes me feel a lot better going into it all right Nikias a broader picture here on the overall NBA how much have the regular season matchups held up in the bubble have we seen any trends or anything yeah, this team didn't match up well with this team in the regular season, and so it played out in the bubble that way? Uh, I think from a general standpoint, especially looking back at, like, the Heat-Bucks series, um, teams that are more adaptable on the defensive end 
are doing a lot better in the bowls than teams that aren't. And I think that kind of bodes well for Miami since they were primarily a drop team um, during the regular season matchups with Boston. But after the Eagle Dollar trade, after the Crowder trade, they uh, have shifted more to a switching style. And I think that's helped them quite a bit. Um, as Alex alluded to, they've really shored up the defense to that front. Um, Boston has been one of the most switchable teams in the NBA all season long. And I think that's part, that's part of why they've been so successful and how while Toronto's offense looked as bad as it did sometimes um, during their second round matchup, they just could not create any windows to attack. And that's kind of what Toronto wants to get into with Lowry and Fred Van um penetrating the paint and then kicking out the shooters. So Boston presents a pretty tough matchup for Miami just because they can't switch a lot of the off-ball stuff that Miami wants to do. So I think it's just go, it's going to be – it's not going to be as much of a stylistic clash as it was in the regular season. These are two teams that kind of defend similar ways. It's just going to boil down the execution. And, and to follow on that, and then we're going to start to break down these five things. Nikias, how – I mean, how different is Boston? Because we talk a lot about how the Heat are different. But Boston, other than losing Hayward, didn't really change personnel, right? I mean, I mean, they didn't make a dramatic trade other than what they did this offseason, obviously bringing in Kemba and, and losing Horford, right? But during the season, they haven't really done much. I mean, Cantor's kind of been stashed now. He was playing more minutes. I, do you think that, that anything we saw in the Toronto series, any of the personnel – stuff we saw will change. I mean, they played both Williams. They were playing one of the Williamses late in the game. Uh, do you think anything changes? Do you think we see Cantor in this series? Is there anybody else on Boston's bench that maybe didn't play against Toronto that would play more here? Um, I don't think we're going to see anyone that we didn't see from the last round. Um, it looks like Brad Wanamaker is really getting his legs under him. Um, he shot well from three in the, in the regular season matchup, though the volume's kind of low there. Um, the, Brad Stevens seems to be trusting Robert Williams a little bit more though he did look a bit shaky against Serge Ibaka on those pick and pops. So that's going to be something to watch for the second unit matchups if he's matched up with Kelly Olenek. But other than that, it's just going to be Boston trying to navigate the loss slash the return of Gordon Hayward. I'm not sure when he's going to appear in the series, if he does at all. But obviously, when, when you add, if you can add 18 points a game and a guy that can also make plays for others, I mean, that changes the dynamic of the series. All right, we're going to get to him last as we go through these points. Before we do and get to those five things, here's a word from Safe Cubbies. I want to introduce you to another of the great new sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and it is a sponsor that would be important in any time if you want to have a beautiful workspace, but it's especially important now when you need a safe one as well, and that's Safe cubbies.com which offers modular office solutions designed to elevate your open office into a modern and safe environment at any budget you can personalize your workspace with options like whiteboards magnetic panels acrylic sheets and graphic branding most of the surfaces are non-porous for easy cleaning and can be removed or replaced within minutes now this is for workplaces they've got a bunch of different options on their professional series but also they've got private room solutions dividers and sneeze guards and they have a classroom series as well so if you're involved with the school this is definitely something your school should check out of course if we have school in the fall and that's the point here we were entering a new normal period with COVID-19 safecubbies.com which is locally owned is the place that you want to go the phone number is 754-216-1071 again that's 754-216-1071 or safecubbies.com 
All right, Ethan Skolnick back on five on the floor. Nothing but net channel on Dash Radio. Nikias Duncan, Alex Toledo, Greg Sylvander. We'll have a live stream before every game that I'm going to host. We'll have a live stream after every game that Alphonse Sydney is going to host um, after copious amounts of Biscayne Bay brew. Um, let's get to number one. And I'll start here with you, Alex. Who on the Heat? Because Al- Alf and I have a difference of opinion on this. Who on the Heat starts on Jason Tatum? Who starts on him? Definitely Jay Crowder. I think that's what I think that's what we're gonna see. Uh, Christian Hernandez was actually posting uh, matchup data, and, and it actually showed uh, Crowder did an okay job on Tatum. I don't remember. I don't have the numbers on me right now, but I expect him to. It, I think it'll be a lot of straight matchups to, to, from the start. I think that's what we can expect from Spo, and then it'll kind of get funky throughout the game, and as stuff changes, like the cross matching stuff. Honestly, we can go all day about that, and and and. I would love it, honestly. But <laughs> Crowder, I think, is going to be the one that ends up guarding Tatum to start. What do you think, Nikias? Is that is that the direction they go? Because Alf thinks it's going to be Jimmy, and, and I don't know why you would deploy Jimmy on him. I don't him think they want early. to put him in foul to... trouble. Well, that's that's one of the reasons. I mean, I would expect Jimmy to start on Jalen Brown. Ooh, I'm actually going a different direction to both of you. I, I do agree with Alex. I think Jay Crowder is going to be the Jason Tatum matchup. Um, you don't want Jimmy potentially picking up fouls. And beyond that, Jay Crowder has done a good job on on wings during the postseason. And honestly, since he's been in Miami, um, he'll struggle more against quicker guys. But uh, Jason Tatum isn't a guy that's going to blow past him on the blow past him off the dribble. Um, this guy's going to kind of work the mid-range area, work those pull-ups. So I think Jay Crowder will be fine there. And again, you don't want to get a guy like Jimmy Butler or even Bam out of body on foul trouble. That's something you st- you want to stash one of those two guys on Jason Tatum if he's getting hot and it's late in the fourth quarter. You don't want to st- do that from the jump. Greg, is Jason Tatum already a top 10 player? Oh, man. I mean, I think just based off the fact that he has the trajectory in place that looks like he's going to be, you know, uh, one of the most elite wings and gifted scores in the game. And um, definitely the, the Kobe Bryant lineage in terms of who he's worked with and stuff like that. I, I think that all that stuff shapes up to that. Um, if you're doing a top 10 most valuable players, uh, he would make that list. I don't know if he's the 10th best overall player, but for all intents and purposes, I think that uh, we, we could say he's in the conversation there and, and where it gets interesting, you know, I kind of initially really agreed with Alf that Jimmy would be the guy that they would primarily look to, to defend him, maybe not to start the game, but definitely in crunch time. But where it's going to get interesting is if hero ends up on the court late in games and he has the ability to slide over and uh and and maybe guard one of the the quicker guard players uh whereas Duncan Robinson has no shot at that it'll be interesting to see how they can shift Jimmy around and if that means that getting some looks on him other than just Jake Crowder as as Nikias and Alex have alluded well let's follow on that then Alex if uh because I think Nikias if he's going a different direction I think he may I know where he might be going it I mean we talked about stopping Tatum first but Kemba's a guy who's given the Heat enormous trouble over the years, even though I did look back at that 2016 series and he shot under 37% in that series against the Heat. I, I think the memories of that have been jaded a little bit uh, by the number of points he scored, but he didn't do it particularly efficiently. And obviously he's going to see Goran at the start again, but how do they deal? We're talking a little about Jason Tatum. How do they deal with Kemba Walker? And honestly, 
good luck to Goran, right? Like, I hope it's I, – I trust Goran, right? When it comes to his IQ, I know that he, he will do the right thing and be in the right place. But at the end of the day, they're throwing so many damn screens out there for him. Like, they kind of – I feel like they run a lot of similar stuff to what the Blazers do for Dame or maybe what the Hawks do for Trey Young and on and on, right? I think he, he's that type of guy, and that's exactly where guys like Goran and Nunn have just been completely killed all season. So I think maybe that's kind of going to be the head of the snake for the Celtics offense for <laughs> for the entire series because I think they're going to see uh, until the Heat switch that, right, until the Heat make an adjustment because I think that's going to be the consistent place where they can break down a defense and really get that four-on-three or three-on-two. You know what I'm saying? Consistently, they'll be able to get it by Kemba on Goron almost every single time. I think they have enough help defenders. So I don't think it'll be the end of the world. Uh, a lot of people would like to point to the Raptors and how they did a, a great job on him. I don't think that can be replicated with the Heat's personnel. But at the end of the day, I do feel uh, very good about their help defense. And I know Spo is going to have a game plan out there to, you know, not like get Kem- Kemba get too much into his spots and not get too comfy. So Nikias, I think he knows what the, you know, what the threat is, basically. So Nikias, to that end, uh, in your article that, just as you said, dropped on basketballnews.com. I love saying dropped. Uh, you you have a different guy guarding Kemba. Uh, yes, I think you stashed Jimmy Butler on Kemba. He just oh, try man. to try to have him put the put the blanket over the fire there. Man, you know I'm all in on that, man. I love it. Yeah, uh, the way I had it in the article, um, I'd say Jimmy. You put him on Kemba. You'd have Goran on Marcus Smart, assuming that he's still going to be starting if Gordon Hayward isn't back. And you have Duncan Robinson on Jalen Brown, which looks like a little bit of a mismatch in favor of Boston, but mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of playing the odds there. If Boston's offense devolves into Jalen Brown isolations or Jalen Brown post-ups, mm-hmm. you take that as a win. Jalen Brown is much better at catching and shooting or catching and attacking a closeout, and that's where he's dangerous. You don't want him initiating a lot of actions, and you don't want him hunting isolation. So I think that would be – that's definitely an option for the, for the Heat. Are you concerned at all if you put Jimmy on him too early? Because we used to see this with LeBron. LeBron would be saved for Derrick Rose for the final five minutes, right? Mm-hmm. If if you put him on him too early, that one of two things can happen. One, Jimmy gets in foul trouble, which I don't think is likely because he's pretty damn good at avoiding fouls. But the second thing is that you just it just wears on Jimmy. And because we do know what a burden he carries on the other end of the floor – would you have – I feel like putting Jimmy – I get what you're saying, but I feel like putting Jimmy on Jalen Brown, you know, you're not going to be – Jalen Brown's not going to be running Jimmy off a million pick and rolls and all the rest of this stuff. And, you know, he's just not going to be quite the burden on Jimmy's legs. Does that worry you at all? Um, it doesn't worry me because just for lack of a better way to phrase it right now, I think Jimmy takes enough possessions off on offense to where it wouldn't burn him out to guard Kemba too. Um, like we've seen in the regular season and as we've seen in, in parts of the Buck series, Jimmy is fine with kind of facilitating the offense, kind of letting the game come to him first. And then if there's a cold stretch, then he'll go foul hunting or he'll go mismatch hunting. But he's fine with kind of setting other guys up. I think he can do, he can do that and then try to shut down Kim on the other end. Because honestly, I, am, I have questions about Miami's half-court offense against Boston switching. So I think if you can get those kind of stops on those pull-ups from Kimba, that's going to lead to some long rebounds. Then Miami can get some easy buckets in transition. Then that lets them set up the half-court defense the other way. To, to that end, and Alex, and I want Greg you to jump in on this too. I, in looking at the matchup myself, and I'm not breaking it down quite the same way you guys are, but 
it does look to me like Miami's going to need to get out and run a little bit in this series. And I know that hasn't been sort of their, I mean, from a pace perspective, and that it really hasn't been the direction that they've necessarily gone against Milwaukee. There was sort of more of a decision to try to grind things down, which is what we expected. Uh, do you think, I'll start with you, Greg, do you think they should try to run more in this series? Yeah, I think they're going to have to. I think that it also could be predicated on them trying to force turnovers and getting out that way, that they may need to, I guess, get creative in the way that they get out and run um, and just essentially as many easy buckets as they can get. Uh, but, but there's another way that they can get easy buckets, and that's getting to the free throw line. And I think that that's where Jimmy Butler is going to focus a lot of his attention, keep that free throw rate up, um, because that is another place that they can um, kind of have a release valve for points if things get weird in the half court for stretches. And then you just got to hope that there's some, you know, some element of these guys just kind of taking over, whether it's Jimmy or, you know, Bam capitalizing on some of the mismatches there and uh and they get enough points that way because I, I agree i think that some of the switchability that that boston has is going to create some issues um unless you're getting to the line and you're hitting threes yeah alex yeah. i mean do you want to see him run more yeah yeah i mean no doubt honestly i i thought nikaias really nailed it uh when you talk about getting those points i think it comes with the stops first and we've talked about their defense all season and even now we've talked about how it's improved and that's why I'm, I'm very much all in with the idea of cross-matching. That's something I remember. This is something that we just kind of randomly talked about after one of the matchups is what would, what would that series look like and what would those cross-matches be like? I'm all in. I'm all in. We've seen Spo kind of be conservative and do the straight stuff to, to start. I, I expect the adjustments to come, but I'm all in on that idea because I do see Kemba as somebody who could absolutely kill the heat, even if because we, like I said, there's going to be a bunch of screens. And even if you have any of these other plus defenders switching onto him, I think you'd want to stop the action and prevent the, the, the four on three or the three on two. Like I mentioned before, stop it at the head of the snake, I think would be just the best way to go. And what Leif said about free throws, I think is huge when it comes to all of this, because I really do think the heat beating the Celtics is going to really be relying on the heat making threes, as we know, and, and as we trust them to. But not only that, but with Jimmy and Bam getting to the free throw line. And we've seen Hero do it as well, too. So I guess I'll throw him in there as a third. But uh, it, I think that's going to be really important, right? We're going to talk about attacking Kemba in a mismatch, trying to do the same thing that he did with George Hill and try to just make them help, right? Force them to help. And essentially, you're trapping Jimmy, even though he's not a shooter. And he turns into Kemba Walker, functionally. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like... And I think it, the same can be said for Bam. Anytime that he has somebody smaller on him, it's been a problem. It's not something that uh, can be really relied on him yet for on a consistent basis. But if he can really start taking advantage of smaller matchups, I think that would be great. All right, so we're going to get into Bam in a second. I don't want to give it all away. Uh, before we do, I want to tell you about another great sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that's MyBookie. Winning season has returned at MyBookie. It means doubling your first deposit. It means Survivor Super Contests and squares at MyBookie. Winning season means hitting all your parlays and props with your feet up and watching your team trounce the rivals, unless you took the Dolphins today on the money line, um, in which case you don't feel so good. But not only can you celebrate the NFL season, but you also can check out the NBA odds. I just looked at it, guys. Uh, the Heat are a one-and-a-half-point underdog in game one and a slight underdog for the series. So, obviously, there's no none of that three points for the home team thing in the bubble, but the Heat are a slight underdog in this series. So, if you want to bet it, new players get up to $1,000 in free play. So, you can double your first deposit by typing in 
five on the floor. That's five on the floor. Your winning season begins today only at my bookie. And if you've bet on the heat for the whole thing, as I know some of you have, you might want to jump in there and hedge it um, just to make sure you get something out of it. All right, let's get to number two, Bam Adebayo. Um, and, I, you know, when I, when I posted this right after the game, kind of my initial reaction is this has got to be the Bam series. It's the one place on the floor that they have a distinct advantage in my view, provided Bam sort of recognizes that advantage. And, you know, I was on the Zoom call with him a couple of days ago and, you know, asked him about some of the award stuff. And he came out and said, you know, I don't care about MIP, you know, if I get a ring. Um, he sounds incredibly confident. I, I feel like he sort of rec continues to recognize how valuable he is, but also how much more he has to offer. I know, Leif, you talk a lot about uh, no ceiling here. I I'm looking at the numbers from the, the, the bubble in the regular season and the bubble numbers are actually better. The playoff numbers are actually better than the regular season numbers. I, I don't think most heat fans would think that because I, I think there was a perception that he got off to a bit of a slow start. How impactful can he be in this series? And on a scale of kind of, well, let's just rank him against other heat players. How important is he uh, for the heat to win this series? He may be the most important player because of the mismatch you already stated. I feel like they have no answer for him, and it's just about him capitalizing on that. Um, you know, when you look back to the one game in the bubble, I know Jimmy didn't play, but they, they started two bigs, and that's been a completely abandoned concept. And it, it's interesting it, it, the way that Kelly and Bam were able to exploit some of the things Boston uh, wanted to get to and, and offensively play well. It'll be interesting to see if we see flashes of that again uh, – because I know Boston's probably going to try to size down as quickly as possible. But uh, Bam has the matchup here. There's no reason why he shouldn't be getting, you know, 20 and 13 or something in that in that ballpark. And, and this is the series he's been waiting for in terms of um, the national attention that it's going to draw. And, uh, and yeah, there were hot and cold moments, um, I think, in both of the first two rounds with Bam. But this is a series that uh, he doesn't necessarily need to be locked in on one specific player defensively. So uh, all of the elements are there for a big Bam series, and it's just about him kind of seizing the moment and, and looking at the basket and going to the basket strong. Uh, nothing bad happens when Bam attacks the rim, so let's see him do that. And if he shoots 90% from the free throw line like he did in the last series, uh, the Heat are going to be uh, in good position. Nikias, uh you know, a lot of when we talk about Bam, it's about kind of the confidence stuff. But from a just from a basketball perspective, what can Boston do to take him away in any way? And what can he exploit? I think the big thing for Boston is going to be the switching. Again, Bam is more comfortable kind of operating as a connector. He likes to pass from the elbows. He's obviously really good at uh, screening and kind of flipping the angle on screens and pick and roll. Uh, he does the same thing with dribble handoffs. So I think switching those actions kind of takes away those advantages that opens up the open up opportunity for Bam, honestly. Uh, we talk about Duncan Robinson, Bam, pick dribble handoff all the time. Um, you can't go under it because Duncan Robinson can fire. You can't blitz it because now Duncan Robinson has gotten really good at slipping in those pocket passes and then Bam can go flying from there or make the pass from there. So I think switching just kind of flattens out those actions and it forces Bam into scorer mode. That can be a good thing. We saw some nice uh, post-ups from him on like George Hill in the last round. Um, he got Malcolm Brogdon on a few post-ups um, in the first round when Indiana was switching everything. So he's starting to become a little bit more comfortable being aggressive in those situations. 
But ultimately, I think Boston is still going to make the bet that Bam isn't good enough to consistently abuse those mismatches or even more indicative of him, he isn't sure of himself enough to consistently try to attack those. So I do think they're going to try to make Bam more of a scorer. And I think Bam, Bam can make them pay, but I mean, obviously it's going to be up to him to kind of do that. Alex, uh, Bam said two things on that call about what he wanted to improve. The, the first thing he said was, I got to take care of the ball. And we saw in that game four against Milwaukee, I think he had five or six turnovers, as did Jimmy. And that's in large part kind of where that thing fell apart. Uh, but he also acknowledged that when he takes the mid-range jumper, it opens things up for everybody else. So he took a few more in this series, but not a lot more. Uh, first, how does he avoid the turnovers? And, and second, uh, you know, do you actually expect him to be more aggressive from mid-range? Well, to me, the, the aggression thing really doesn't have to do with just one spot on the floor. It's really about what the defense gives him because I really do think that's the way that Bam operates. And I think that's why he gets annoyed when people like me uh, just say things like, be, you know, be more aggressive, be more aggressive because I think he's sticking to the game plan. And it's a game plan that's really worked out for the Heat, obviously. That's not something I have to point out. But at the end of the day, their offense runs through Jimmy and Bam being the engines, whether it's Jimmy getting to the rim and getting to the line or it's Bam facilitating at the top of the post. And I think that's really where he's successful. At the end of the day, he's going to take those jumpers at the, you know, the end of the shot clock if they give it to him, which I think, uh, you know, Tice will give it to him a few times. If Tice is playing up on him at the end of the shot clock or, or if they get, uh, you know, a mismatch like Nikias was talking about, I think closer to the end of the shot clock, that's when he's really going to do it. I think that's when he's been kind of – I think that's the only time that he's really willing to do it at this stage. But I would love it if, if he were still a little bit more aggressive. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, just a few monster BAM games because I do want to be clear. I think BAM was pretty – I still feel the same that it's 50-50 between Jimmy and BAM being their most valuable players, even through the playoffs and seeing what we've seen with playoff Jimmy. I think BAM has been just as valuable to their success. So I'm not trying to criticize him, but there's, they're going to bet on him not being that guy to attack mismatches. Like Nikaya said, and I think it's a smart bet until proven otherwise. And I do think Bam has the tools to do it. Yeah, you were talking Greg earlier about that matchup uh, in the bubble and that Olenek started with Bam. I forgot about that. And I just wonder, you know, he's, he's getting, he's logging so many minutes with Jay. He has not logged many minutes with Kelly. Um, I do think Kelly's going to be a big factor in this series, and we've also seen at times that without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. He'd have gone single big, uh, no big. I don't think that's going to happen in this series. But uh, do you think there's any advantage? I'll let any of you guys weigh in on this to getting Bam some minutes with Kelly in this series. Uh, I think it'll start with how much they are initially exploiting the, um, the size advantages from just Bam's perspective alone. You know what I mean? Like if he can really start to, uh, you know, force the action on Tice and make that a, a, a unfavorable matchup for, for Boston in a really egregious way, um, maybe you size up a little bit to, to force Boston to kind of adjust to that. Um, also, if there's any 
inclination for Boston to kind of stash Kemba and Duncan Robinson. I think that they're with the dribble handoff stuff. Uh, if Kemba's in that action at all, having a big involved in that as much as possible and figuring out ways to exploit how that could turn out is something to watch too. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know. There's part of me that's, that sees the way Spolstra's gone in this postseason. He's really committed to sizing down and only having one big on the floor and, and playing Jay Crowder, you know, the way that they, that they have. And, um, and it's had the resounding success so far, eight and one so um maybe i'm overthinking it and he won't uh you know tinker too much nikaias you want to see them play together at all um i'm intrigued by it if for no other reason than if boston goes continues to stay single big i think that's where you can see bam on tatum and i think that gets a little bit interesting mm -hmm. there and if you have kelly kind of operating as the five you're kind of putting a bind if you're boston because you keep tyson that's going to open up pick and pop opportunities for olenic and if you slot, keep uh, Tyson Bam, then Kelly can get into that weird herky-jerky kind of flinging his arms and body everywhere kind of post-up game against one of Boston's wings. And that can get you some cheap, some cheap points, some quick layups, um, some quick fouls, and that slows the game down, which is something Miami wants to do anyway. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Spo goes to that. Yeah, I mean, I think Kelly has been at his best in a heat uniform when he's playing next to Bam. And even though I don't think we'll see that too much, like I, I think we, we've seen that Crowder is the four and, and maybe we'll see Iguodala in that role uh, when, when it really comes down to it. But I wouldn't be surprised if they played more together just because it, like what if the rotation just got shortened just a little bit more when he's playing less five minutes? Because I do think that's something that's been kind of going around in my head when trying to like simulate how this series is going to go. It's, you know, like Robert Williams coming off the bench, somebody who's a lob threat. I could see Kelly getting burned on those just if he is the backup five. And I don't know. I do think it makes sense to put him next to Bam and at least for like half of his playing time. But I do agree with the notion that he's going to be good in this series offensively just because of the, the opportunities to be a pick and pop big. And like the guy said, to view smaller people, I think Kelly's going to have a role in this series, but they need to be careful. Uh, that he doesn't get burned out there. Try not try to limit the minutes that he's out there with Kemba and Tatum. All right, let's get to number three here. We've talked about Tatum slash Kemba. We've talked about Bam. Um, now we're going to talk about Marcus Smart. There's a clip. Um, I should have actually asked Alex to get this one beforehand, but there's a clip uh, of Jimmy talking about Marcus Smart in that series between Boston and Chicago which actually uh, the Bulls with Jimmy were up 2-0 in that series until Rondo got hurt, and they ended up losing that series. And essentially the clip was basically like that essentially Marcus Smart's not really about that life. Like that, that, that was the, the crux of it. I don't remember the exact quote. I put it on my Twitter account. Um, but he essentially called – He's a great actor. Acting he, tough. He's, he's, That's he's what he's he does. A, that's, That's right. I'm listening to it right now as I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You know what? You should throw that one in there. But anyway, that's uh, – yeah, that he's a great actor. It's what he does. Uh, there didn't seem to be a lot of respect there for Marcus Smart. He completely uh, – just for the record, he completely threw down that angle. Like, he didn't even give it the time of day. He just basically called Marcus Smart another player. Um, that's not an exact quote, but it's pretty much what he said. Yeah. Because uh, that's not you, – that that's Jimmy. That's the way that he's been all season. It's That's exactly – you know, that falls into line with everything we've seen with him. He, he's here for the win. He's not here thinking about Marcus Smart. But I think even when you go back to it, uh, uh, most observers would think that Jimmy would have respect for Marcus Smart because he's of Marcus Smart's story and Marcus Smart being a grinded-out defender. 
but it all comes with a histrionics, right? And I mean, Jimmy loves Kyle Lowry, who does a lot of the same stuff that Marcus Smart say. does. <laughs> right, right. But, but, uh, but he doesn't seem to love Marcus Smart. But I think we got to take Marcus Smart seriously. I mean, he, he was a look, he made big plays throughout the Toronto series. He's starting in p- place of Hayward. Um, who does he, he harass? Serious. Who does he harass in this series, Alex? Who does he harass? I'm interested in seeing if Brad Stevens is going to sick him on Duncan Robinson and having him just chase around screens. That just seems like the natural thing to do just because we've seen how much the Heat like to do that. And I, and I don't think this is going to be like the Bucks series where a lot of jumpers are going to be uh, kind of there for them. So I, I do think that it's going to be really like – I think the Heat are going to really need the Duncan Robinson thing to work. It's, it's not going to be all on him. So I think it makes sense for the Celtics to put Marcus Smart on him instead of Jimmy. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little him on a little bit of everybody. Like, I think the guy really is just a, an alien of his own. He's one of the – probably the five best defenders in the league right now. Or maybe I'm being a little too generous, but he's right there, man. I think that we're going to see him on Jimmy. We're going to see him on Duncan. We're going to probably see some playing time with him on Goron. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. The guy is just that good defensively. And he averaged 16, 6, and 6 last, uh, last series, by the way. Like, this right. is not just a guy who, you know, is doing the Tony Allen stuff where he's not putting up, you know, any type of stat line. He's really doing it. He, he's, he came into the starting lineup, and I don't think this is anybody – if you watch him, like, there, there was no doubt about it coming into this. But he's really, I think, just kind of cemented himself where it's like, oh, yeah, Hayward left, and there hasn't really been much of a drop-off, even but, though the, the Heat really – <laughs> uh, it's good for the Heat that Hayward is not there. I mean, but Greg, he's extraordinarily streaky, though. We've seen him have, you know, O of 13 stretches from three and then make eight threes. Um, I, you know, I mean, I, I, so I guess there's really two questions here. The, the one question which Alex addressed is who he guards, and we're going to talk more about Duncan going forward. But there's also the question of how much you guard him, right? Because he used to have the rep, sort of the Justice Winslow rep, right, that sometimes you were playing four on five. But I feel like Toronto tried that and it didn't work. Yeah, well, I mean, Marcus Smart shot 35% in that series, or 34% in that series, 35% for the regular season. So he's kind of rounded himself into a competent shooter, and you know, not somebody he's you're not like running him off the line the way you do Duncan Robinson, but he's definitely not um, a liability in that way. Uh, so the, the interesting thing, you know, I kind of initially leaned where Alex was and thinking that maybe they would try to just erase. Duncan Robinson with Marcus Smart. But the more that I have kind of marinated on that, I almost feel like they would be wasting one of the best defenders in the league just chasing Duncan Robinson around. And uh, so then I started to lean in the Jimmy direction, right? Like I feel like you put him uh, on Jimmy and and you see if maybe he can get Jimmy riled up or maybe they can get, you know, chatter and you, you would – they'll be happy to trade some double technical situations with Jimmy and Marcus Smart all day. But, uh, you know, what if they just – uh, decide that you know Goran has been such an X factor this year with him averaging 20 a game in the playoffs like that's that's the thing that has raised the ceiling for this team in a lot of ways obviously there's some other con- mm-hmm. contributing factors like maybe smart on Goran is the move and they just swallow up Goran and try to erase him um, so like that's one of the more uh, one of the more intriguing things going into game one I think to see where they deploy Marcus Smart. Nikias what did you where did you have him in your article? Um, I had uh, well, going to spoil another one, the next one, but uh, I think you put smart on Duncan Robinson. Um, you saw 
Um, Dante DiVincenzo kind of chasing Duncan Robinson around. Chris Middleton got the assignment. Eric Bledsoe was literally in Duncan's jersey at certain points of the series. Uh, I think Marcus Smart can give you a similar effect. And it's because of Smart's excellence defensively, obviously that's number one. But also, if you're talking about putting Marcus Smart on Goran Dragic, uh, if you put, put him on Goran Dragic, that means Kemba Walker is on some – is he somewhere that you don't want him to be? Um, the Heat have shown a willingness to run dribble handoffs with Bam and Jay Crowder. If you're hiding him on Jay Crowder since he's the one you kind of don't really pay attention to um, outside of, like, Miami's two stars, then they can kind of flow into those actions. And if you're talking about Bam posting up Kemba Walker, right, I mean, that that's going to be easy money. Um, you don't want to put Kemba on Duncan Robinson because as um, as much as Kemba has competed on the defensive end, honestly, he's been a really good defender during this postseason. I'm not sure how long that's going to last, but he has been up to this point. Um, he still can get a little sticky against screens, so you don't want him trying to get skinny with Duncan Robinson on the dribble handoffs or kind of running through pick and rolls if they got to uh, reverse the ball after a few actions. So you don't want him there either, and you obviously can't put him on Jimmy either because that's food. So I think you kind of have to put Kemba on Goron and just kind of uh, just kind of reconfigure your help if you need it. I think Marcus Smart or Duncan Robinson makes the most sense because, again, Duncan Robinson is probably Miami's most important offensive player. Um, once he shakes free on those dribble handoffs, it kind of opens up everything else. And if you can kind of shut him down, it's going to turn what's already scheduled to be an isolation-heavy series with both teams switching. It's going to make it even more imperative that Miami can get one-on-one buckets, and that's going to be a tough proposition for him. All right, so let's combine our number three with number four now because number four was going to be Duncan Robinson. So if you're saying that you're putting Marcus Smart on him, then, then obviously that's going to take Miami a lot of the, out of a lot of the actions that they want to run. How important is it for Eric Spolster to get Duncan Robinson going in this series, which, again, in the playoffs has really only happened in one out of the, what, one out of the nine games that he really got going? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was counting up. There were four games – at least on the stat sheet, I get it, the space he creates for others. But at least on the stat sheet, there were four games where he was a complete non-factor out of the nine. But we have seen that when a team makes him a non-factor, Eric will come back the next game and try to make it happen. We saw it in the Toronto game um, in, in, the, in the bubble. And then the next game, I forgot who it was against, but Duncan ended up having, you know, what, six or seven threes in the first half. Um, how much do you think Eric will try to force the issue here if it's clear that maybe, you know, Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown is taking Duncan Robinson away? Uh, I think he pushes it at first, and then they immediately kind of shift to some other stuff. Because I think what makes Marcus Smart dangerous is because he's so strong, and he's also uh, he's good at making sure the refs know that he's been hit as well. So if you run him into a pick and roll or you get him on a post-up or you're driving at him, um, he can absorb contact and then also use that contact against you. If you have him kind of going east-west chasing Duncan Robinson, that means you can run some north-south stuff elsewhere. That's where you get into your Jimmy Bam pick and roll. If you want to run some inverted stuff with Jimmy and Goron and kind of force some switches if Kimba's guarding Goron, I think you do that and you kind of take Marcus Smart out of the play as a help defender. Um, underrated weak side shot block as well. But again, the, uh, the ability to draw charges kind of sliding in from help is there for him. So if you can kind of occupy him and then play four-on-four four elsewhere, I think you can still get some pretty good looks if you're Miami. Alex, what do you do? You force it? So, I think that's interesting when Akai is talking about because that was something I was also thinking about was the north-south stuff. So the pick and roll, I, I think Tice has done a, a good job. I think he's been a, a very good player for them. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is another series where we see a lot of Goron and Jimmy pick and roll 
and them kind of going back to that in-between game that we saw a lot of versus Milwaukee uh, for the drop reasons. And I know that the Celtics don't have the same defensive identity whatsoever that the Bucks do. But at the end of the day, I think that's that's somewhere that, that's that's a big reason why Spo placed Goron into the starting lineup in the first place to have another initiator and ball handler and shot creator who can go and get his own shot. And I and I believe that's kind of one of the best ways for Goron to get his own shot is for him to get into that pick and roll going left. And I know that they're going to try to, you know, that everybody knows that Goran wants to go left. So it's easier said than done. But if, if you're putting Kemba on him because Marcus Smart is guarding Duncan Robinson and Jalen Brown is guarding Jimmy Butler, which I do think, like, if you're a Celtics fan, you're like, okay, I'm good with that. I do think that opens up some opportunities for Dragic to be effective there in the pick and roll and for Jimmy to do, do the same because I, I think this is a different Jimmy we're talking about now, right? I think, like, the playoff Jimmy has actually been very good in that in that in-between stuff. And, yes, it's a small sample. Yes, we got to be careful, but I, I – I trust him. I, this is something that he's done in his career is be good in the mid-range and, and hit those types of shots. So I do think that's going to be somewhere where they can really generate some offense. And uh, Nikai, do you think that's going to be one of like their main actions more than the dribble handoff as far as how they get points? Uh, I would say so. Like, as you said, like Daniel Tice has been good. He's been good all year, honestly. Like, he deserves a lot of credit for the work that he's done on both mm-hmm. ends. But I do think of Daniel Tice as a guy. He can play higher up in pick and rolls. I think that's the benefits of him. But all he does naturally still want to drop. So I think those intermediate shots are going to be available for uh, for Jimmy or whoever's attacking him in pick and roll. And again, and even with that being said, like outside of Kemba, Daniel Tice is going to be the worst defender on the floor, which is a testament to how good Boston is. But also there are just going to be some looks that Miami can generate there. They're going to need as many easy looks as they can get. All right, we're going to get to uh, part five here in a second, and then I'm going to add a 5B because some of the stuff you guys are talking about has led me to somewhere else. I want to tell you about another great sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that's louispeters.com. Louis Peters is a state farm agent, an agency representing the number one auto and home insurer in the United States, more than 60 years of combined experience in the insurance industry. These are local agents that understand South Florida's unique market. They've got access 24-7 on louispeters.com, and it's L-U-I-S-P-E-T-E-R-S. Com. The office is in Miami. It's on Southwest 117th Avenue in Miami. Again, all of our sponsors are local and insurance. Look, that you need personalized service tailored to every customer. There are no cookie cutter solutions in insurance. What type of insurance do they sell there? Pretty much all of them. So make sure you reach out to Louis Peters. The phone number 305-275-5585. Again, it's 305-275-5585. 5585 or louispeters.com. All right, let's get to the X factor here because I sort of thought we wouldn't see Gordon Hayward in this series. When he first went out, they said four to six weeks, and not only was he dealing with his high ankle sprain, but also was waiting the birth of a child, which he said that he would probably leave the bubble to do. Um, now Brad Stevens came out today on the Zoom calls and said, I expect to see him in this series. I mean, we're not at four to six weeks yet, so he's a little bit ahead of schedule. He's been back in the bubble. He apparently has been doing some running, but no cutting, at least what we heard as of two or three days ago. How much does this change this series, Greg, if Gordon Hayward at some point, whether it's game three, game four, game five, can play? Well, some of it's going to depend on what Gordon Hayward we see. If it's a Gordon Hayward that faced Miami throughout this past season uh that's not good news for the heat he was absolutely a player that that 
capitalize on his matchups. He's just another wing that they're adding to the repertoire that that that's difficult to defend. Um, and and he gave the Heat problems. So so that that is a huge factor. But it, it, a couple things. One will be, are are we going to see? the best of Gordon Hayward in this particular circumstance and also when because as much as I, I know Brad Stevens alluded to seeing him this series to me it feels like maybe like a game three game four kind of situation versus Tuesday and and so it'll be interesting to see how much they ease him back into this what he looks like when he's back on the court and how soon it happens but that provided that he plays, you know, I, I'm like you. I, I really thought that this was kind of shaping up in them preparing him to return to an NBA Finals if they advance that far versus the Conference Finals. So I was surprised to hear he's going to be available. But if he plays and he's the Gordon Hayward of 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 this season, that that's a tough, tough thing for Miami. Nikias, one of the things I remember from the regular season games, and I can't – it was the one down here, actually, because they, then they were all back-to-backs. So I thought it was interesting that – Gordon Dragic mentioned that they were all back-to-backs. I, I didn't think he was going to go there and say that publicly, but Heat fans have talked about it a lot, that, that it was always second night of a back-to-back where the Heat played Boston. But the one down here, all I can remember from that game is the last six minutes, and I think, Alex, you and I potted on it afterwards in one of those little rooms at the arena when we actually could yep. go to the arena, was all I could remember was basically Gordon Hayward taking Duncan Robinson to school at the end of that game. He, he essentially made him unplayable. Um, how big a factor is it if Hayward plays? And if he does play, does it change who the Heat can play? Because then you're throwing, what, three, you know, pretty close to elite wings plus an elite point guard at you. Yeah, so that's the thing right there. I think you, you pretty much alluded to it right there that, you're throwing Hayward on there. You're throwing another guy who not only can hit threes and will hit threes on you, but uh, you're going to end up trying to stash a Duncan Robinson or someone else on him because you're worried about the other guys you have there. And that's where he's going to burn you. Like you just said, he took Duncan Robinson to school and I, and we have given Duncan and hero credit for kind of getting better little by little on the defensive end. At the end of the day, it's still a matchup. You have to worry about Gordon Hayward's a very good player. And even though he doesn't have quite the athleticism he used to, I've been very impressed with him all season. I do think he can still create for himself and others in the pick and roll. He's not washed yet, uh, as much as I hate to say it. And that, that's a problem. Like, I, I think one of the things that makes me feel a little bit better about this series is how long he's going to be out because it just gives you one less shooter, one less weapon, one less threat on the floor because I do think their bench is filled with non-shooters outside of Brad Wanamaker. And so that makes it – I really do think, like, those – types of factors are going to end up when maybe swings a close series in the heat or the Celtics way is the three pointers and things like that. Hayward missing or not missing. And because even with the defense being better, like <laughs> Gordon Hayward will take advantage of Duncan Robinson, right? If you give him that matchup, he, he'll take advantage of it enough times to make that a bad matchup for the heat. And Nikias, um if Hayward comes back and let's say he's close to hundred percent, but not there, but we see the success that Boston has had with the starting group against Toronto. Would you even put him in the starting lineup or with the bench being as weak as it's been, at least from a scoring output and playmaking standpoint, would you sort of bring him off as your sixth man? Um, I think bringing him off the bench as a sixth man would make some sense. Um, as you mentioned, they, the bench has hit, isn't necessarily a strong suit for Boston right now. Um, the starting unit has just been so good and the way that they stagger the guys and they have, they're going to have two of um, Mark, uh, Jalen, Jason Tatum, 
Jalen Brown and Kimball walk on the floor at all times. So I think they've kind of been able to manage it that way. If you add Hayward into the mix, it takes pressure off of those guys and kind of also lifts the bench a little bit more. You just have to hope that Gordon Hayward is going to be aggressive. That's been a thing that's kind of waxed and waned a little bit in his Boston tenure. Um, injuries have obviously played a part in that, and he's coming off of injury now. But he's had the propensity to kind of fade into the background when he's sharing the court with Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart running a lot of pick and rolls and just kind of taking whatever the defense gives him or just taking things in general. And I think it would be up to Hayward to make sure that he's not a supporting actor in those situations. If he does come off the bench, he has to force the issue. Um, it's going to force some really interesting matchup decisions for Miami if Hayward's ready to go, regardless of his effectiveness. Because of you guys have mentioned, like, he absolutely schooled Don Robinson. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that you counter that is by bringing in one of those defensive wings off the bench. Andre Iguodala, he's been closing games for Miami. Um, Derrick Jones Jr., he came in kind of as the break glass in case of emergency guy. Um, he's obviously a solid defender across, uh, across three positions. Maybe you see a little bit more of Derrick Jones Jr. And matter of fact, Derrick Jones Jr. was a guy that guarded Campbell Walker during one of the regular season matchups before we got to the bubble. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing we may see. Mm-hmm. But again, with a team that switches like Boston does and forces you into isolation play, if they're able to flatten out those off-ball actions and then also ignore Andre Godala in the corner or ignore Derrick Jones Jr., in the corner, then it gets really tough to score against a defense that's already elite. So I think Gordon Hayward's presence, even if he's at 80%, is going to force some uncomfortable decisions for Miami. All right, we're going to get to one more thing here. I want to, I want to touch on the closing lineup, and we're going to get a pick from Nikias because I think Greg, myself, and Alex are going to hold our picks till tomorrow night. But before we do, I want to tell you about another great sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network, Biscayne Bay Brewing, the official craft beer of Inner Miami, the Miami Marlins, and us. They are our South Florida's actual independent brewery owned by local guys who employ people in this community to make their beer right here in South Florida. The guys over at Biscayne Bay Brewing are committed to our community and supporting Five Reasons Sports, so we can keep bringing you all the local sports content that you can handle. If you care about supporting local business and drinking amazing beer, grab their stuff, Marlins Lager, Miami Pale Ale, or Tropical Bay IPA at all major retailers throughout South Florida. It's the beer we're drinking at Five Reasons Sports, and thanks to Biscayne Bay Brewing for dropping off the cases here yesterday all right let's one more topic and then i want to get a pick from nikaias the closing lineup if we're to assume that there's no hayward and that basically boston is nikaias mentioned they're going to stagger throughout the game but then at the end of the game we're going to probably see tice tatum brown walker and smart can you play the heat's closing lineup the one we've seen uh pretty much throughout the postseason which is dragic and hero and uh, and Crowder, right, and Bam and Butler. That's been the lineup they've gone with for the most part. We've seen Iguodala at times. We've seen Duncan Robinson at times, but that's been the primary five. Uh, can can you play that closing line? Actually, in a lot of cases, it's been Iguodala instead of Crowder, but can you play that closing lineup at the end of games, Alex? Well, yeah, I mean, that's something that I've been kind of concerned about as well because uh, Goran and Tyler are obviously guys who haven't been, let's say, great defenders all season. And obviously the Celtics present a lot of problems where you can't exactly stash them on people other than, let's say, Marcus Smart. So who are you throwing on Marcus Smart? Who are you not? I think Leif alluded to earlier that it would probably be smart to probably give that assignment to Kemba. I mean, for the Kemba assignment to Tyler Hero rather than Goron, just because he he did, a, in a small sample, given uh, a, a better job than Goron. But I, I do think we'll see both of them on Kemba. And 
at least for, for, for small points of time. When you're talking about crunch time, though, I just don't see how you don't put Jimmy on. I think you have to eliminate that problem like, like we talked about earlier. And I, I, you can't let them get shot after shot by just breaking down the defense over and over. And like Nikaias has kept saying, it's, there's going to be uncomfortable matchup decisions because they have kind of stuck with that group. I, wanna, I, I would be interested in seeing if uh, that starts getting changed now because this is just a, such a different team with a different set of threats than the Bucks. But uh, I, I'm still pretty optimistic about the five, though. Like, I, I, I'm pretty confident in, in the amount of options they have offensively where it doesn't just feel like it's Jimmy, Bam, and shooting. It's more like Jimmy, Bam, and two other scoring guards and Crowder. Like, I, I, I like the balance of the lineup. I do think that e even if it doesn't work out as, as well as you want to, Spo has some cards to play there for different subs that he can make, and we've seen him make all season. I'm still pretty optimistic about it, but uh, – I think Jimmy on Kemba really is the move that, that we're going to have to see here. See, at Greg, uh, at the end – Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, I, I want to I add you a specific. The Tyler, Tyler has played more minutes than anybody else in the bubble in the playoffs in the fourth quarter, right? So he's not going to change it now, is he? Hell no. So mm -hmm. I was glad Alex started to round into some positive thinking there at the end and, and, and say that the closing lineup is still <laughs> good to go. You know, something just hit me like a ton of bricks as we've gone through this discussion, and that's that we've talked a lot about this in ways where it's almost like we're talking about all the things. We're almost poking holes in Miami in relation to how they're going to match up with Boston, and we're, oh, how are they going to, you know, maintain this matchup, and what are they going to do when Boston does this? You know, there's a part of this where Spolster is just going to roll out the five guys that have got him to the Eastern Conference Finals in four and then in five in, in two series in a row and, um, and make them match up with us. And I know that on paper it's real easy to look at things and say, uh, you know, that Boston has all of the tools in the toolbox to match up with Miami with what Miami does. But ultimately, let's see if that's true. We'll see what kind of team that they really bring. Um, in crunch time because the, the difference here is that there is a lot more uh, playoff tested deep run veterans um, in the rotation for Miami than there is for Boston. So we'll see what they look like when, when, when things get uh, tight late in games and Spolster is going to make them adjust to, to Miami to some degree. So that closing lineup is good to go. All right. And so they've has to be ready to run through a wall. <laughs> well, all right. I'll let Nikias throw some cold water out at that. Nikias, you close here. You're 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 our closer. You're our Tyler hero. Um, and again, check out his new article on basketballnews.com. And thanks everybody for joining us and to all our sponsors. A, can you play the closing lineup? B, give us a pick. Um, A, yes, you can play the closing lineup. Um, again, I think if you have if you're closing with Marcus Smart on the floor and also Jalen Brown on the floor, those are some natural hiding spots, I think, for Gorn and Tyler Hero. Um, I think you can put Gorn on Marcus Smart. Um, you put Tyler Hero on Jalen Brown, just kind of like I mentioned earlier with Duncan Robinson. If Jalen Brown is beating you in isolation, then you just kind of tip your cap. But I don't think Boston wants to go to that well. He's much more – he's much better as a play finisher than a play, uh, play initiator. So I think you can hide them there. The worry then becomes if they just run some screening actions to try to get those guys into the play. And we'll see if Miami switches. They they have auto switched. They have seen some situations where they kind of hedged and recovered. So we'll see how Boston navigates that and see how Miami navigates that. But the lineup itself, I think, is fine. Um, there there are some natural hiding spots there, and then on the offensive end, it it obviously makes sense there the way they want to attack. Um, as far as a pick, 
Uh, I kind of have to lean Boston still just because I feel like even with the absence of Hayward, I think Boston has fewer questions than Miami does. And I think Boston is kind of, is still in a position to kind of dictate what Miami wants to do more so than Miami's in position to dictate what Boston wants to do. Even if you want to argue that the Heat have the best player in the series, a very easy argument could be made that Jimmy Butler is the best player in the series. But Jimmy Butler can't necessarily dictate action, dictate the action in a way that would make Miami a favorite, I don't think. So I think I would still lean Boston in six or seven. All right. Greg, Alex, stay silent. We're waiting for tomorrow <laughs> for the three of ours. Check out basketballnews.com. Don't be so pissed at Nikias because he picked against the Heat. Uh, this is a tough call for sure. Um, check out all of our sponsors. Follow Nikias and Nikias NBA, Tropical Blanket, Ethan J. Skolnick, Five Reasons Sports, Greg Sylvander. We will be back tomorrow night. We're going to let Alf come on and scream a little bit about the Celtics. Uh, so hopefully you enjoyed the breakdown. Have the back guts. Tomorrow. Thank you for listening to The Five on the Floor on the Five Regional Sports Network. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.